Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. We are in week three of our series, Anchor for My Soul, that's uh, journeying through the book of Hebrews with us in the Bible. Hebrews is a relatively short letter uh, in the Bible, about 13 chapters that it's been broken down into, uh, down into for us. But um, we already touched briefly on the text we're gonna look at today in week one. And what I mean is I read it, we didn't talk a lot about it, but today we're actually gonna unpack kind of what I consider the center point of the book, uh, but also uh, that's been the center point of the, of the big idea as we walk through this, that Jesus is an anchor for our soul. But, but here's what today is about more than maybe any other week so far. Practically, what does it look like to anchor your soul? How can you wake up in the morning and say, today, I, th- this is what I'm gonna do to anchor my soul in Christ? What does that look like practically? So it's not hypothetical or doctrinal, just high and lofty. It's practical because it actually is. And so I wanna give you the big idea of this message today, the practical outworking of anchoring your soul to Jesus. So if you're taking notes, there's notes right there in your, in your note guide, but here's the practical outworking. God's promises lead you through when the hill blocks your view. God's promises lead you through when the hill blocks your view. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to believe someone else's promise that, they, that you were gonna be okay even if you couldn't see it at the, at the point in time that, that, that things were going down in your life, the hill was kind of blocking your view? If you're scared of storms when you were a kid, or maybe as an adult, and you need somebody to comfort you because your anxiety revs up, but especially when you think back as a kid, uh, you would go maybe to mom or dad and they'd scoop you up and say, hey, it's gonna be okay. And something about their words comforted you. You couldn't see that you were gonna be okay through the storm, but mom or dad's words or whoever it was in your life, they comfort you. Or maybe if you've ever had a surgery in here, maybe one of the biggest uh, illustrations would be, you trust that anesthesiologist that's about to run drugs into your veins and render you unconscious, and then they're gonna take a knife and cut on you. Come on, man, we put our hope in people a lot of times. And I mean, you, you have to pick the right doctors and try to be wise, but you can't see the hill that blocks your view is the fact that you're gonna be asleep. I don't know if I'm gonna be okay or not, but we trust the doctor's word and we trust the fact that he wants good for us and he or she is gonna do everything they can to bring healing to our body. This past week, I had to go to, uh, to the dentist and I, and I thought about it. When I, when I lay down willingly and open my mouth and let somebody come at me with a three foot long needle, that's how long it feels, okay? They come at you with this big, it takes a lot. Of, I can't see that I'm gonna be okay. I know I'd lick and I turn into the biggest wimp. When they bring all these drills and tools out, I'm like, man, just hit me in the face. I'd rather that than instead of you putting all these shots in my gun. Literally this process I went through last week, it was three hours long. It was supposed to be 45 minutes. He had to numb me three times and he drilled into my gum for, and listen, I was about ready to fight somebody up and then lose my witness in the dentist office this week, by the way. And it wasn't the doctor's fault. I mean, he just kept finding that I hadn't taken care of my teeth as well as I should have. So he's drilling. He's like, man, I'm so sorry. I know. I'm like, sorry, man, you're killing me here. But I trusted him. I kept laying on the table and trusting him. And they had this big plastic thing over my face. One of the, uh, the, the lady who cleans my teeth, she walks by and says, woo, looking good today, pastor. And I was like, thanks. I had this big plastic shield draped all over my face. And so I thought though, you know, when I got done, 
I put my hope in him. I trusted him as far as getting the dental work done. And I came out fine on the other side. So often we believe and put our faith and hope in the promises of people. And that's not always bad. You need to be careful who you believe. But I mean, not our eternal soul hope, but I mean the, the, the hope for whatever the situation is. We, we put our faith in them. But often... God, who created everything, who gave everything for you, we don't anchor our soul to him by believing his promises. That's what the writer of Hebrews is really getting at. You go through hills, you climb hills, you go through valleys, you go through storms, and many times the hill blocks your view and people give up on God. How do you get back there? How do you make sure, if you're in a good place with the Lord, how do you make sure that you stay anchored in God? Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews actually gets at in the center of this book, Hebrews chapter six, if you have your Bible. And so here's what he says. I'm gonna back up and, and read the last verse that we read last week. Follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. So he gives us this example, there are people who have believed in Jesus so much, they put their faith in him, and even though they have died and they have passed on, their faith and endurance, right now, they are realizing the promises of God. And so what he gets at throughout this book, some of the promises God come to pass while we are still breathing on earth. Every single promise of God comes to pass after we leave this earth and go to be in, uh, with him in heaven. But here's what he says, it was their faith and endurance Faith and endurance. In other words, faith that didn't give up. The kind of faith that said, I'm not turning back. I'm gonna keep on leaning into Jesus. And so it says, for example, now he goes Old Testament. Remember, he's talking to the Hebrew people, which would have understood the first part of the Bible very well. They would have known it since they were kids. They would have most of it memorized. And so he uses, uh, to the Hebrew believers, he's trying to use Old Testament scripture to bring them to Christ, to bring them back to their foundation in Jesus. So, he says, let me talk about Abraham now. There was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. And so here's God going, I swear to me. You know how people say, you know, like sometimes it's even slang and could be even used wrong, like I swear to God. And sometimes it's just a, it's, it's a really uh, heartfelt promise. Like I'm just telling you the truth here, I swear. Well, God actually takes a swear in his name. He says, I swear to me. He takes an oath in his own name. And here's what he said to Abraham many, many years ago before Jesus walked the earth. I will certainly bless you, Abraham. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. And so I'm gonna talk a little bit about Abraham because a lot of this understanding, you have to know a little bit about who Abraham, to understand this text, you have to understand Abraham. God promises this guy, Abraham, he said, I'm gonna give you so many descendants, which was a big deal in that day that your bloodline would be carried on. I'm gonna give you so many descendants that are gonna be like the sand on the seashore. No one would even be able to trace your family. There'll be so many people that's gonna descend from you but you know what the hill that blocked his view was? He was 80 years old and he had no kids. And so his wife wasn't much younger. And it says his wife, Sarah, laughed when the angel came and said, hey, Abraham, you're gonna have a baby. He said his wife laughed. Now, I know sometimes we read right over that, but how many 80-year-olds in the room today and if the angel showed up and said, you, you're about to have a baby? <laughs> Laugh, cry, I don't know what you do. But you go, not me, Lord, remove me from the world right now. Here I come, Jesus. Not me. There's 50-year-olds that say, not me, Jesus. Even 40-year-olds say, not me, Lord. Like, uh-uh, no more kids for me. And here they are, 70 and 80 years old, and the angel says, you're gonna have a baby. And you're gonna have, and in fact, you're gonna have so many descendants from your kids that you won't even be able to count them. They'll be countless. 
And so here was another hard thing in Abraham's life. It said he waited patiently. Why does it say that? Well, Abraham received this promise somewhere around 80 years old. Do you know when he actually had Isaac, his first son? 100 years old. 20, 22, 23 years later, he finally has his first son. Now, God's promise was, Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants. But right now, at 80, you have none. And at 100, you had one. Do you know that in his lifetime, he only got to see Isaac born and a couple of grandkids. That's it. That's all he got to see in his life. But it says that he was, uh, he was faithful and he was patient and he waited. Now, when we read this where God said, I'm going to give you descendants, it's actually the reaffirming of a promise. Because if you back up a little bit, God first said this before Abraham had kids. If you read it now, uh, where we read it in Genesis 22 is where this is. It's God reaffirming the promise after his son Isaac is born. But God wanted to test Abraham's faith. So he came down, he told him, he said, I want you to take that only son that you have and I want you to take him up on a hill and build an altar like you were gonna sacrifice a lamb to me, but I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Now you can imagine how difficult that is. First of all, he wants him to kill his son. That doesn't make any sense. Second of all, God said, I'm gonna give you descendants and this is the only kid he has. God was testing his faith. Do you really believe that my promise will hold true to you? So what does he do? He loads up Isaac as a, maybe a 10 or 11 year old boy. He loads him with the wood and they walk to the top of the hill, build an altar. And he puts Isaac on that altar and he raises a knife. And at that moment, an angel of the Lord shows up, stops his hand, shows them as a ram caught in the thicket. They sacrifice him and God says, I, really, here's what, in essence what the Lord said. I would never ask you to actually sacrifice your son. I wanted to test your heart to see if you really, really believe me. God didn't want a human sacrifice. He was wanting to see, will you hope in the promise even when it seems hopeless? And so here God reaffirms the promise to him where he says, I'm gonna give you descendants. If you go back and read the rest of the promise, it was that not only will I give you many descendants in quantity, I'm gonna give you a descendant that by the whole, the whole world will be blessed by. Well, follow Abraham's bloodline, this one child he had, Isaac. You follow it all the way down, you come to the bloodline of King David. King David was from Abraham. You follow King David all the way down, guess who else came from that bloodline? Jesus Christ. And so you can trace it all the way down. And so God's promise came true to bless all people of the world through the descendants of Abraham. And we're told that Abraham waited patiently for all this to happen for those 20 years. I actually find hope in that because that's a gracious statement. Because if I read it, I would go, wait, God, Abraham didn't really wait patiently. Let me give you three things that I think we wait for the promises sometimes in our lives, just like Abraham. Here's the first one, pretty obvious. We wait with some faith. Abraham here, it says he waited for the promises of God and we wait too with some faith. You ever get frustrated with yourself because you don't feel like you have enough faith? I wish I had more faith or I wish I was like so-and-so, you know, I wish I had that kind of faith to just step and walk on the water like Peter. I wish I had that kind of faith. But sometimes, let's just be honest, our faith is not huge and great, it's just enough. It's just enough. And you know, I think God welcomes any amount of faith. He doesn't say how much faith. He said, you have to have faith in me. Faith in me enough to put your, uh, to surrender your life over to me. So Abraham waited for faith. Even though some faith is stronger, some faith seems to be weaker, anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus is gonna receive the promise. But do you know what Abraham also did? He waited with some failure. He waited with some failure in his life. And so this is not letting you off the hook for unholiness. It's not, I'm not looking at you saying, don't matter how you live, live how you want. No, the Bible's very clear. We should work towards holiness in our life. Anchoring to Jesus leads us towards a holy lifestyle. But 
Abraham, it said he waited patiently, but actually, if you go back to after receiving that promise, he got frustrated because there was no baby coming. And so his wife, Sarah, said, why don't you sleep with my young servant, Hagar? And he did, and then had a baby. And then, as you can imagine, things turned sour in the family. They end up running, Ishmael was the child that was born. They end up running them out of town. And God still takes care of Hagar and Ishmael. And and Ishmael was blessed as well, except for the fact that that caused pain and division. If you can trace today the division and wars in the Middle East all the way back to these two kids, Isaac, who would be the, the, the child of promise, and Ishmael was the one that Abraham took it into his own hands and Sarah and said, you know what? God's really not gonna give us a kid. We're gonna go ahead and choose to have a kid through one of our servants. And so you find that Abraham waited with some failure. That wasn't the only failure, but yet God says through the writer of Hebrews that he waited patiently. You know what that tells me? That sometimes when I really blow it, because God's saying, wait on me, wait on me, but then I don't, God still loves me. And I might have some consequences. There was consequences, but God's promises still helped. Even when I blew it, the enemy will come along behind you and tell you that once you've blown it, that God's promises don't ring true for you anymore. There may be consequences from your sin, but God's promises will never return void in the New Testament, his New Testament promise. And so there's grace for us even in failure. But also here's the last way that Abraham waited. He waited with some fulfillment. He didn't see millions of descendants, but he did see Isaac and he did see a couple of grandkids. And so here's a little bit of hope for you. If a hill is blocking your view in life, maybe you wanna get married, maybe you wanna have kids, maybe you have a career in mind, maybe you wanna get out of debt, maybe you, you just wanna be more like Jesus. Whatever it is, you got that goal and you got that calling in your heart, but the hill blocking your view seems impossible. Sometimes God will give you just enough fulfillment that you can handle right now as he works on the greater fulfillment in your life. But now the writer talks about this power and validity of God's promise. Look at verse 16. He says, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, this oath is binding. So he goes to people's oath. He's connected. When you go to the bank or when you purchase a home, you don't just go to the bank and sit down with the loan officer and say, hey, man, just trust me, I'm gonna pay you back. I'm, I'm just coming here today to tell you, go ahead and give me the house and, uh, and just trust me, I'm gonna pay you back. No, what happens? There's all kind of legal documents and you have to sign away, sign all kind of things. Why do you do that? Well, that oath is binding. It's not just based on your word. It's actually, remember, God said that uh, he took an, an oath in his own name, something higher than us, the same way. It gives a higher authority a power to hold us accountable when you buy a car and you take out a loan, or you buy a house and you take out a loan. And so people take an oath. They call on someone greater. There's a higher accountability. And without any question, that oath is binding. And so here's what it says about God. God bound himself with an oath in his own name and in his own character so that those who received his promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Now, why would he have to point out that God would never change his mind? It backs up again to that Old Testament covenant. Whenever the law was given, you may know as the Ten Commandments, which the Ten Commandments are really just the table of contents for the law of God. It was much more detailed than that. But God gave this law in the book of Leviticus. You can read all of it. And he says, if you'll live in this way, then I will bless you. Your relationship, is, it is by faith. You have to believe me. But it seemed way more, uh, uh, it seemed way more conditional. You, you follow me, I will bless you. You obey me, I will bless you. 
And so what happened? A day or two into getting the law, God's people begin to disobey. And so at that point, they violated their end of the covenant. And so God wasn't obligated to hold up his end because he said, I will bless you if you will obey me. Now, sometimes we still feel like we live underneath that law today, that the only way to go to heaven is to live right. And actually, living right is the fruit of what takes us to heaven, which is full surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. But it says there that God would never change his mind. What does he mean? Well, underneath this New Testament law that we live under, or New Testament grace, where Jesus said, if you will put your faith in me, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you'll believe in me, if you will surrender yourself to me, then I will make sure that I'm with you for the rest of your life. I will never let you go and you'll go to heaven forever. And it says that he will never change his mind about that one. Do you know why? This covenant's not based on what you can do. It's based on what his son Jesus has already done. That's why the covenant, that's why it says God will never change his mind. Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. He allowed them to nail him to a cross where he bore the wrath of God for all the sin of the world. He was put into a grave and he raised by the power of the spirit from the dead again. Now he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And so this promise is based on the fact that the son is sitting beside him. When we blow it, he looks over at Jesus and Jesus says, that's mine. That's the blood that I paid for. That doesn't seem fair, does it? The truth is it's not fair, it's grace. But the writer says the new covenant grace is based on not what you can do, but what Jesus has done. Therefore, God is never gonna change his mind. Now look at this. So God has given us both a promise and an oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. So a promise and oath based on the character of God. If you look at his, historically, if you look biblically, God did what he said he was gonna do. His character says that he is flawless and he never told a lie. He never let down his end. And so his character is the highest character that there ever has been or will be. And so what is the promise that God gave us? I would challenge you to look up promises of God in scripture. And I would especially, if you want a place to start would be the life of Jesus. What did Jesus promise us as his followers? Look specifically what Jesus promised. Well, I wanna take you to what I think is the foundational promise that every, that that's almost trumps every other promise that Jesus made to us. And it's this really famous verse, is this one. It says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, and here's the promise. So that everyone who believes, and we've talked about this before, it's not just the nodding of the hat, it's the kind of belief where you say, I'm willing to rearrange my life around him as my Lord. I'm not just gonna tip my hat and say, yeah, I'm a Christian or yeah, I wanna go to heaven. One my life, if you look at my life, my life, I live like Jesus lived. I love like Jesus loved. And when I don't, I get back up and do it again. I keep striving to live like him. That's the kind of belief that he's talking. When you believe and you submit to him, it says you will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, perish doesn't mean that your physical body won't die. That's not the promise. The promise is that you'll have life like you've never had before on this earth with the spirit dwelling in you, but also death will be the doorway to the best thing that's ever happened to you. The best thing, eternal life forever. So you won't perish. Another thing to think about with perish is everyone who doesn't call on the name of Jesus Christ will spend eternity apart from God. So the, as best, the good as it gets in that person's life is on this earth. 
And then when they go into eternity, they go to a devil's hell prepared for Satan himself. That is perish forever. They won't perish though, if you believe, but have eternal life. Well, the greatest promises of Jesus Christ is to look at us and say, if you will truly believe and align your life around me, submit your soul to me as Lord, I'll give you this promise. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. And so God gave us a promise and an oath And this is really the foundation in the New Testament of what Jesus said. And so is faith blind faith? When we're trying to hold on to the anchor, are we really blind? Can we we see anything in our world? Or is it just Jesus that's that's through the clouds and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and we're just having a blessing? Did he give us anything tangible? Well, yes, he did. Just like a promise and an oath, there are tangible promise and oath for us today. And I wanna talk to you about what they are. Here's the promise the promise is the Holy Spirit. So just like when you, uh, when you go to the bank to buy a house or buy a car, or whatever you're doing, you usually have to take a down payment with you. And that is your promissory. And you sign your name and you give some money and then you begin to make payments. Well, here's what Jesus did. He didn't just ask us to have blind faith. You just believe in me. I'm not gonna give you any substance. I'm not gonna give you anything tangible. No, he gave us a promise and an oath that extends today. He said that I'll send you to his disciples. I'm gonna go away and I'll send you what? The promised Holy Spirit. He'll be your advocate. He will be your helper. He'll be your comforter. He's gonna give you God living inside of you, Jesus in you. So the promise that we have today The guarantor of the fact that if we believe in Jesus, we'll go is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get too weird in this because it's not always about a feeling of God. Sometimes you come to church and you feel God. Sometimes you come to church and you felt like, you know, I just learned something about God today. Sometimes you come to church and you go, you know, I'm just glad I came today. But the truth is, there is a possibility. Actually, the Bible says that you can experience the presence of God in your soul. You can actually experience affirmation of your salvation. Paul talks about that, that the spirit will cry out in your spirit and resonate with heaven that I belong to Jesus. And so there is a such thing as an experience of God. When you feel the presence, when you come into the house of God, when you gather with God's people to worship and whatever you feel sometimes in your heart, you go, man, I I just feel something almost tangible around me today. It is possible to feel God. And so the promised Holy Spirit, the promise he gives us and the tangible evidence is there is a feeling, there's a spirit of God. But then there's another handheld one because that one's internal. Here's the oath. Do you know what the oath of God is? It is the written word that you have in your hands. It may be on your phone, it may be in your scripture, but God gave us a promise and an oath just like he did to Abraham. Today we have the written word. He preserved the written word of God throughout thousands of years He preserved the story of Jesus through over, you know, about 2,000 years now for us. And not only, it wasn't just one copy. There's thousands upon thousands of copies of manuscripts of different bits and pieces where they've been able to align scripture. And so the Bible, the Bible, the reason that we treasure it so much is because it is actually God's oath to us. You wanna know what God says to you today? Look how Jesus lived. Look at the letters of Paul and Peter. Look at the the letter that John wrote called Revelation. You can learn so much. And if you study the history and authenticity of this Bible, what you'll find out, there is no other book like it. God has given it a promise that you can hold in your hand right there. And so the word and the spirit promise or promise an oath to us that what we hope for will actually come to pass. That's how we know the promises of God. So 
Let me define hope for you because we have before, but I wanna go back. What is hope? What is holding to hope? Well, hope is confidence that the good thing God has promised will actually come to pass. So Christian hope's a little bit different than just kind of hoping in the world. We say a lot of things like, I hope I don't get a speeding ticket when you're driving really fast, dumb, dumb. You know, <laughs> I, I hope, you know, and like me, if you like ice cream, I hope when I eat ice cream, I don't gain weight. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, too bad. I'm going to, I love it. Cake, man, bring, me, bring on the birthday cake. But hope in, in Christianity, hope in Christ is confidence that what God has promised you will come to pass. So how do you know what God has promised you? Well, back to the spirit and the word. When you turn to God's word, and I, I would, again, I would especially encourage you to open to the, the life of Jesus and see what Jesus promised you. Look at the early, early church and look at the promises that Paul talked about to the church, like Romans eight twenty eight, that God is working all things together for your good even the painful things, even the things you don't understand, that God somehow is working them together. And so it's confidence in that. The fact that even though I can't see it because I've never died before, I have enough evidence through the spirit and the word that right now I know if God takes me out of this world, I'm gonna be with him forever and eternity. There's a confidence in that. There is a power in a person's life that begins to live with confidence in the scripture, confidence in the promises of God. Now, here's the center point that we've anchored this entire series on. It says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. How do you flee to God for refuge? Well, again, it's a simple turning from your ways and turning to him. I run to you, God. You are my Lord. We can have great confidence as we hold to the hope. And so, so far, I've never really told you what the chain is in the story, right? We've talked about Jesus, we've talked about us, and this is the anchor. This is what anchors our soul to him. It says, as we hold to the hope. Now, let me give you something really clearly. I'm not saying you have to hold on to your salvation. Jesus saves you, and he doesn't let you go. But we all know people who you can see the promises of God active in a person's life. You can see faith in their life. And then there's others who claim it, but you never see it. They even show up at church and maybe give a little money, maybe serve some. But when you look at their life, you don't really see power of God. You don't see faith in their life. But it says here that we are to hold on to the hope that lies before us. We can have confidence as we hold to the hope. We can't see all of it fulfilled. Why? There's a hill blocking the view. But it says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Right now, God is through a curtain that we can't see. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So what is the chain though? It says, Jesus already gone in there for us. He's become our eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so what is this immovable, steadfast anchor? Well, it's Jesus Christ, but how do we anchor ourselves to him? We choose to connect by faith, but you know what the chain is? This is the promises of God in your life. There are some people who claim it and there are some people who are holding on to it. The chain is it's the promises of God in your life. When the writer says hold to the hope, we don't hold to salvation. We continue to walk out and live in salvation, but we do hold to the hope, the promises. Often those that turn away from God for whatever reason, when you're in pain, I'm not judging you, I've been there. But those that turn away and, and we just go, you know, I still know God's my anchor. He's out there somewhere. But we, if you look at my life, I'm not really holding on to hope. I'm just living my life. I know God's with me. I 
I hope I'm gonna go to heaven when I die because I did put my faith in him, but I'm just kind of walking through this life right now. Often those that turn away are just simply ones who let go. They let go. God didn't let go of you, but you stop living in faith. It's why people get out of church. It's why people disconnect from community. It's why old sins that you had beaten for so long, they come back in your life again. It's just because we let go of hope. Do you know why we let go of hope? It's because life is hard and the hill blocks your view. Storms come, relationships get ugly, people get sick, we lose people we love, and it's not fair. It's not fair what sin and death do to this world. This is not. But here's the thing. God is working. He's not silent or absent. Let me take you back to where we started today. God's promises lead you through when the hill blocks your view. If you're watching online today, I want to take just a moment and talk just to you. Uh, this week, I was in my neighborhood going for a, a jog and going up and over a hill that I'd been over many times, and I go really slow over that hill, not fast at all. And so I was going over, going down, and, and on the way back, a sign caught my attention that I hadn't really noticed before. I know that I'd seen it many times, maybe a hundred times, but it never really caught my attention. But I, as, I, as I looked at the sign, the Lord began to speak to my heart. Here's the sign right here. Look at this. It says, hill blocks view. Now, I know that this doesn't look like much of a hill in the, in the picture, but it is. It's, it's a big hill. It's a lot bigger than it looks. I was kind of uh, embarrassed when I looked at how flat it looks, but it's a big hill. And the thing is, you can't see. When you go over this hill, it's really steep down, and you can't see the driveways across. And so the sign is warning that, that the hill is blocking the view. And did you know that there's so many times in our life that the hill blocks our view? And what I mean by that, we're trying to hold on to the promises of God. I mean, God, I believe that you're going to work in my marriage, and I'm, and I'm praying, Lord. You say you're working things together for good. God, you say you hear my prayers. You say that if I keep on asking and seeking and knocking, that, that you're going to come through. And so you're trying to hold on, but the, but the problem is you can't see over the hill that God can see over. He knows what he wants to do. He knows what he's already done in your life, what he's already begun to answer. But so many times we let go because the hill is blocking our view. We pray for our adult kids and we're, and we're trying to hold on. You know, you go, man, I don't know where I went wrong. Many parents have felt that way. I pray for my kids and now they've gone down a different path and we're trying to hold on and believe. But the hill is blocking our view. We can't see what God is doing. Sometimes it's about sickness. I prayed, God, that you would heal me. And right now, all you can see, you have a sign right for you. The hill is blocking your view because your body is sick or because some, maybe someone that you love or maybe the finances. Maybe you've been trying to do better with budgeting and you're trying to be more generous person and, and the hill that's blocking your view is you found yourself in debt or, or maybe medical bills have mounted up in your life or, or maybe it's anxiety you're praying about. Maybe your guilt or shame or regret. It can be many things, but the hill that blocks your view so many times is the reason we bail on God. We bail on God, sometimes, I believe sometimes just before we get over the hill, we've been holding on and holding on and we're going, Jesus, you're my anchor and we're trying to stay in the word and we're trying to believe him for, for, uh, for, his, for the good things. You know, Romans 8, 28, that he is working all things together for our good and we try to hold on to that, but we get so tired. And so if you're tired of holding on today or maybe you've let go, of God's promises. You got out, out of church, you got out of your calling in life, you've just walked away and you said, you know what? The, the hill that was blocking your view just got too hard to see past and you just gave up. I wanna give you a verse that's a little bit later in Hebrews. 
And here it is, Hebrews 12, 12. I love this. I've come to love this verse. Here's what the writer says. You know what? You got to hold on to hope. And sometimes when your hands get tired or sometimes when you let go, here's what he says. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. And so I got fixated on this first part. Take a new grip with your tired hands. Maybe you've never grabbed on to the hope of Jesus by faith, or maybe you let go. You know God is with you, but you let go of believing him, and you, you stopped seeing the presence of God manifested in your life. You got out of the body of believers that God had called you to, and you stepped out of your calling. And so maybe all you need today is a friend to come alongside you and say, hey, ma'am, ma'am, it's time for you to grab hold, take a, take a new, adjust your hand, and grab on to God's hope again. Start believing his promises again. Remember all the things where he's already come through in your life. That one heel that blocked your view, start praying about it again. Come back to the Lord. Maybe for the very first time to come and believe that Jesus Christ is your savior to put your faith in him and say, you know what? I'm not taking a new grip with my tired hands. I'm taking a grip for the first time with my tired hands. Wherever you are in that journey though, it really is that simple. I'm not saying simple is easy, but if you're tired and your hands are tired and your feet are tired and you feel like you've been going down the path uh, that's just so difficult and you've given up on hope and you've given up on faith, this is your call back today. Will you come back to him? How do you do that? How do you take a new grip? Well, I think it starts with surrender. You may want to get down wherever you are, if you're physically able, or maybe just in your heart, just kneel down somewhere and just go, God, I'm ready to come back to you. If you've never surrendered to Jesus and, and you've been feeling a calling, just cry out to him, say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Here it is, God. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to have huge faith. All you have to do is have enough faith to get you to this place. Say, God, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to take a grip on, on hope. And what happens is then you begin to take his word and you begin to look at the promises, read the promises of Jesus. Find the one that, 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 that sticks for your life, the, the promise that he's working things together for you good, the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you, the promise that it, whenever you become his child, you become a son and a daughter of a king, an intercessor that's in heaven interceding for you. But listen, all I can do is tell you about the hope. I can't make you grab hold of it. But the invitation today, grab hold of that hope by faith. Get up from this time and start believing God at his word again and see what the Lord wants to do in your life. Listen, you are loved, you matter. And if you're wrestling, there are people right here at this church, at Riverbend Church, that will pray with you and pray for you and will listen. So you reach out. You reach out to us. Send us a message, email. Uh, shoot us a message on Facebook. Drop a, drop a comment right now and just say, hey, I'd love to talk to one of the pastors. We'll follow up with you. But you know that. You matter. I pray that you take a new grip with your tired hands on the hope of Jesus today. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.